Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Well, 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 well. Here we are. Happy draft Eve, everybody. Uh, I know that everybody uh, out there right now, uh, they've got a little bit of a knot in their stomach a little bit, a little bit nervous in anticipation of what's going to happen yesterday. Yeah, even for me, a sports writer that covers the team, uh, knowing that all this, these months of work going to the Senior Bowl uh, in, in Alabama, typically in, in a regular year, uh, going out to the um, scouting combine in Minneapolis, going to some pro days here and there, talking to players, talking to coaches, talking to college people, talking to GMs around the league. It all leads up uh, to tomorrow. And um, it, it just, you know, you you just have this uh, anticipation and excitement about how it, it's all going to unfold. And, of course, I cover the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I host uh, this radio show on Raider Nation Radio, so that's the team that I'm focused on. But just from... The entire NFL standpoint, uh, it, there's nothing better than the NFL draft, and there's nothing better than the eve of the NFL draft. We're about almost exactly 24 hours away from the draft officially kicking off in Cleveland, and still so many questions to answer. And you know, we're just waiting for the the clock to turn five o'clock p.m. Uh, Pacific time tomorrow, eight o'clock Eastern. To find out how it all unfolds, welcome uh, Raider Nation to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you, of course, uh, by Tequila Embajador. Uh, by the way, I met uh, today with uh, with reps from uh, Tequila Embajador, uh, and uh, man, there's some cool things uh, that, that they've got coming. There's some cool things that we've got coming um, as we're starting to kind of you know, plot the future and what uh, we're going to be doing, um, you know, covering the Raiders for, for uh, you know, in the huddle uh, and how we're going to, uh, to to get out to you guys and so, you know, create ways for all of us to hook up, you know, whether it's on uh, the day before the game or, or game days from time to time um, throughout the, the course of the year, you know, when they have home games uh, or when the Raiders are playing over at Allegiant Stadium. So a lot to to put together um, and and to to hopefully announce here pretty soon uh, as we move along, uh, you know, getting all the plans put in place. But uh, really, really exciting times. But obviously, uh, where we are right now, 24 hours away from the NFL draft, I really want your thoughts. Um, you know, so give us a call, 702-365-9200, on where you think the Raiders are going to go. Uh, they've got four picks in the first three rounds. That'll get us through Friday. Uh, you know, fourth through seventh rounds uh, unfold on, on Saturday. But uh, by, you know, Friday night, 10 p.m. local time or so, uh, this Raiders roster <laughs> is going to look considerably different. Uh, the moves that they make in the, you know, with those first four picks, 48, uh, or excuse me, number 17 on uh, Friday in the first round, number 48 uh, in the second round, and then their two third-round picks, um, uh, 79 and 80 um, in, in, in the third round. What they do with those picks uh, is going to have a big say on what happens 
uh, next year. And so super excited to, to get it all figured out there. You know, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, there's a lot of smoke out there that the Raiders are kicking the tires on Julio Jones. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, I do not believe that it would require uh, any sort of draft capital that includes picks from this draft. Uh, the way this deal, whoever ends up acquiring uh, Julio Jones, for it to work financially from the Falcons' perspective, um, and keep in mind, they're doing this not because they just want to get rid of Julio Jones. That dude can still play, and we're going to go into get into his statistics, uh, you know, as as proof why he can still play. They're not just trying to unload him because you know they're down on uh, Julio Jones. <laughs> what they're down on is how much money they owe him. I think it's thirty-eight million dollars over the next two years. Um, they need that cap space. You know, the the Atlanta Falcons are a team that's rebuilding, and uh, you know, as much as draft draft capital will help them in their rebuild, uh, so too will flexibility uh, to be able to to manage that salary cap. So for the for the Falcons, from the Falcons' perspective, trading him in a deal that would be officially consummated, even though it can be agreed upon prior to, but officially consummated and um, essentially executed and announced after June 1st, it saves the Falcons $15 million under the salary cap. And and so they desperately need that. So if you're a trading team, if you're the Raiders uh, or uh, the Ravens, and um, they're uh, in the running as well, and from what I've heard, I'm not quite sure what the offers are, but from what I've heard, the Ravens might be a, a, an inch or two ahead of the second best offer. That could actually be uh, the Raiders, um, for, for 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 all we know. Uh, they are definitely in the running. Um, you know, so so if, uh, whoever does trade for him this year, or or whether it's tomorrow, today, tonight, next week, uh, it's going to be four picks. Uh, in the 2022 draft, because it's just too tricky. Um, if you're trading, if you're making a trade that's going to be consummated officially after June 1st, it gets tricky to include current picks, you know, right now. Uh, because if you're if you did that, essentially you'd be drafting for another team when you made your pick. So it just gets a little too complicated. So the compensation that um, you know the Falcons are going to get back uh, will probably be. Uh, picks in the 2022 draft. And in terms of, um, you know, the, the Raiders, yeah, that's, you know, uh, you don't want to give up draft capital. But for somebody like, you know, Julio Jones, the guy can still play. Yes, I know he only played nine games last year. That was his one year where he didn't get through a full season um, and, and didn't play the majority of games. But when you look at what Julio Jones has done uh, throughout the course of his career, uh, it's pretty darned impressive. And we're going to get that, to that in just one second. But right now we want to go out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line because Jerome wants to talk about draft capital. How you doing, Jerome? Yeah, I think the Raiders need uh, – I'm not mentioned before on this show or maybe never, I'm not even sure, but uh, they need to they, uh, trade uh, – Henry Ruggs to Miami, and I think they get a first and a second. That's why I say that, because Henry Ruggs is a left-handed receiver, and Miami has that left-handed offense with Tua, and, and they've worked together in Alabama, and Miami can really use him. That way they can save their sixth pick and trade their 18th and their second round, one of those second rounders to the Raiders, and we'll get two for one. We'll get a good receiver, 
But Lowski had the first or second round pick. All right. Um, love the enthusiasm, uh, Jerome, but um, uh, a couple things. Number one, the Raiders aren't getting a first and second round pick for Miami uh, for Henry Ruggs. And you have to look at it this way. Uh, this is a deep wide receiver draft. The, the, the Dolphins are better off just staying where they are uh, and drafting one of the better wide receivers. You've got Jamar Chase. Uh, you've got you know Devontae Smith. Uh, you've got Waddle from, from uh, the University of Alabama. There's all kinds of different directions that they can go with at wide receiver and are in position uh, to do just that. I think Henry Ruggs is going to be a really good player. Uh, but I don't think the Raiders are any in any rush to move him, and I don't think that the Fal- the uh, Miami Dolphins at this point would be willing to give up a first and second round pick to go get Henry Ruggs. When theoretically they could just stand pat where they are right now in the first round and get a player that's as good, if not better, uh, than Henry Ruggs. So um, I like the enthusiasm. I like where you're you're going with that, but I just don't see that that's a realistic uh, possibility. But I'll ask you this: if they do hold on to number seventeen, what do you want to do? He needs a left-handed receiver in Miami. And look, if he's a first-round pick, and he's a left-handed receiver, he's got to work with that offense. I think it give him a first and a second. I don't <laughs> – I, I, I appreciate it. Okay, but what, if, if the Raiders hold on to the pick, uh, 17th pick, what do you – where do you think – what direction do you think they go in? Cornerback or, or running back, whichever one's best. Okay. Yeah, like I said, um, I, I, what were you talking about with the left-handed receiver? What what exactly are we talking about there? Brooks was with Tua in Alabama and, and used to the left-handed offense. Miami has a left-handed offense right now. That's what's wrong with Tua. But they can't play. Nobody knows how to run left. Everything's going left instead of right, even the ball. And and Brooks knows how to catch that ball because he worked with Tua, did a good job of it in Alabama, so he knows how to work that. So... I think that's why Miami would like to have somebody that knows how to catch the ball than a quarterback. Yeah, but why, I mean, I, I'm 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 not quite sure. I, I appreciate the call, uh, Jerome. Thank you very much. Um, not, you know, maybe a first round pick. Um, I don't think the Raiders are are, are interested in, in moving Henry Ruggs at all. But I don't see that he's going to get a first and a second round pick. Henry Ruggs hasn't proven anything, uh, you know, in the NFL. If anything. This would be, if you were going to trade Henry Ruggs, you know, it would be the worst possible time to trade him because what's his value at this point? His value is just, just potential. And trust me when I say NFL teams are going to be thinking to themselves, okay, what, you know, what did he do? This is a what have you done for me lately uh, operation. And nothing against Henry Ruggs. Uh, it was a weird year for rookies. Uh, there's things that he needs to get worked on. And, you know, the Raiders believe in him and believe he will uh, close that gap and, and you know, become the player that they hoped he would be. But he's not he, – he certainly wasn't last year. And it's still a question whether he will be coming up in the future. There's no guarantee that he's going to uh, close that deal. Um, so if you're a team that's interested in training for a Henry Ruggs, you would be you would be buying at a lower price because right now he's at his lowest value. You got to if you're the Raiders and you're trying. There's no way they're going to get a first and second round pick. That's just uh, you know that's that's basically uh, the bottom line. But I really appreciate the call, um, uh, and, and you know and uh, it's it's great to be ambitious. It's great to to think big. 
But I think a first round and a second round pick for Henry Ruggs is just a little bit too much. Uh, that is lofty, 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 lofty thinking. Uh, back out to the Raider Nation guest li- or excuse me, listener line. Sammy wants to talk about the defense. How you doing, Sammy? Oh, Vincenzo, what's good, my brother? I'm doing good. Did you hear that? A first and a second round pick for Henry Ruggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> but uh, but no, listen, man. You wanted to know uh, where we would like to go as far as um, what I would like to see the Raiders do on defense. You know, a few years back, I'm originally from Chicago. A few years back, uh, the Bears took this kid. He was an oversized uh, safety. I forget if he was from Arizona or Arizona State. Some kid by the name of Brian Erlocker. And he not only would play the safety position, but he was able to play all three linebacker positions. And I think you touched on it with uh, Jeremiah Owusu from Notre Dame. Now, I watch a lot of Notre Dame. I'm a fan, so that might have it, you know, tilted in a different direction. But I just think this kid, and I know he's not the flashy type of guy like the the Parsons kid and a few others that are out there, but this guy is really knowledgeable. He plays all over the place. He's a he's just a, a playmaker on defense. And from what I hear, he's a real good leader on the field and off the field. And I just think it would be the perfect fit for what Gus Bradley wants here in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I love it, Sammy. And here's the thing: uh, I full disclosure, I watched Notre Dame. I'm a, I follow Notre Dame. I have my whole life. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, Dad, uh, uh, for for passing that along uh, to me. It's been rough times, uh, yeah. you know, these last couple of decades. But hey, they've been they've making playoff runs. Uh, you know, they got to a national championship game. So. Uh, with with all the limitations uh, that they have, trying to get guys in, um, to me that they, they've been doing pretty good, and they've definitely been producing some really good players. You look at rosters around the league now; there's a lot of Notre Dame players that are doing big things. And I'll say this about Jeremiah: watching his progression uh, during his career at Notre Dame, um, number one, A plus kid, without a doubt, A plus kid. You go to Notre Dame, you're going to get, you know, you're you're, you're usually uh, kind of a cream of the crop kind of a guy to begin with as a person. Um, mm-hmm. that's how they roll. And, uh, you watch him out, you watch him on Saturdays and what he was able to do and the versatility that he brought, the growth, the maturation, how he got better every single year. Last year he was tremendous. And here's the thing, Sammy, you're right. He's a guy that, you know, can be used in a lot of different ways. I love the Erlacher um, uh, comp. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Jeremiah played linebacker primarily at, at Notre Dame, but you're, you're absolutely right. He lined up all over the field. And here's this is my point. Last year, a guy like Jeremiah, you know, going into Paul Gunther's system would have been a little bit hesitant. But the more I watch Jeremiah play and looking at him through the lens of what I do, which is covering the Raiders and kind of uh, uh, picturing him and projecting him with the Raiders, you have to like erase your memory of these last couple of years because that defensive staff is no longer here. It's Gus Bradley and his staff. And Gus Bradley does have a track record of taking guys like Jeremiah uh, and and figuring out ways to put them in those type of players in great positions. So you would be getting this Swiss Army 
knife player in Jeremiah, um, and then a, a guy that could do a bunch of different things, a guy that you can attack opposing offenses a bunch of different ways, uh, whether it's defending in the pass, rushing the passer, chasing down the run. He's got all of those tools in his toolbox, and plus you have a creative, proven track record defensive coordinator who's able to get the most out of those players. So there is a combination of that. that and I, I have to say this, you know, Sammy, when I've been evaluating Jeremiah, I have to catch myself thinking, okay, it's not the previous regime, defensive regime, that you're projecting him into. It's the current defensive regime mm-hmm. that, that, that you're trying to project him into. And let me ask you this. The, the, the uh, traits that Jeremiah brings, coupled with the new defensive coordinator and Gus Bradley, how much of a comfort level do you have thinking that this new defensive regime would be able to utilize Jeremiah in a way that makes him an asset? On the oh, wow. That, that, it would be outstanding because, like you said, you know, um, there's already a track record there. And with, with someone like Jeremiah, he's going to come in and he just, wants to, he just wants to play. He wants to win. And so for him to fit in, with this uh, new system, I think it would be outstanding because he's real good in coverage. He's going to help, you know, maybe not shut down all these tight ends, but definitely make it more difficult for them. And uh, I, ju- I just think, you know, with the defense going in a different direction, this is exactly what I wanted last year when we could have taken, I believe his name was Keith Murray out of Oklahoma. Kenneth. I thought it would have yep, been Kenneth a. Murray. Uh, yeah, yeah, he would have been a good fit, but again, different system. So, uh, so you know, where, where it stands right now, I just think in a normal draft where not everyone's jumping all over these quarterbacks, uh, we wouldn't have a shot of, of getting uh, Jeremiah at 17. He would go higher. He would be somewhere around 10, 11, somewhere around there. But um, I, I just think with his character – and uh, his intelligence and the way uh, things are setting up on defense, I just think it would be, like you said, I, it would be a perfect match. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that this is the way we go. Not saying I'd be upset if we wound up going, you know, with with uh, somebody else, but this is a guy that I hope that we land in the first round. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate the call, Sammy. Thanks as always. Don't be a stranger. Give us a call on Friday. Um, or even tomorrow, we're on from one to three. Tomorrow, we're on from one to three on Friday as well. Uh, but you know, when the pick is in, uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you're always welcome. You know that. Uh, and 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 you're right. Uh, a guy like Jeremiah. The other thing I like about Jeremiah a lot is, uh, and this is the case. It should be the case for everybody in this draft. None of these guys are finished products. Everyone comes in, you know, with some strengths and some weaknesses. And uh, some of those weaknesses can be overcome with coaching. Some of them you're just going to have to hide. But a guy like Jeremiah, I think uh, his best football is still ahead of him. Like, you can say that about everybody, logically speaking. Of course, they're 21-year-old kids. They're going to get better. But I guess what I'm saying is I don't think we've seen his full arsenal. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of upside there in addition to what he's already done, which is he's had, he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year uh, last year. Oh, by the way, Clemson is in that division or on that conference. Uh, there's a lot of good teams uh, in the ACC, including 
Uh, last year, anyway, Notre Dame, they play five or six games against the ACC each year. But last year, they were a full-fledged football member of the ACC. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, he, to me, his best football is ahead of him. Now, at the same time, this is where my crossroads uh, is this. If Micah Parsons is still there, if Jeremiah is still there, I'm, you know, I just and I talked to a general manager today about Micah about those flags, those red flags. And I'm hearing more yellow than red, but, uh, you know, admittedly, not everyone's dug in deep enough to find out if those yellow flags were really red flags uh, on, on Michael Parsons. And who I talked to today hadn't, so uh, hard to tell. But if it's just yellow, if, if the Raiders did their investigative work and what they came back with were yellow flags rather than red flags, if Michael Parsons is there, I don't see how you could pass him up. He is so darn good. Uh, but if he isn't, uh, no problems with Jeremiah. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Oh, I, I liked it. I liked where you're headed with that, Devon. Uh, but the phone lines, we cannot, we cannot hold these callers off any longer. Uh, they're just buzzing, the phone lines are. And we're going to go right out to the Raider Nation listener line. By the way, you're listening to Vinny Monsignor in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, Sean Ray is on the line. He wants to talk about the draft. What do you got, Sean Ray? Uh, yes, um, I heard him was talking about, like, who our needs is and, uh, like I said, I know we definitely need defensive needs. Um, like I said, I would think we should go after the best defensive player at pick uh, 17. Uh, if they're not there, like you said, Micah Parsons, I know him personally. He comes from my high school, my alma mater. Harrisburg, Virginia, Harrisburg, um, uh, Pennsylvania. Yes, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Harrisburg High. That's my, that's my alma mater. Yeah, so definitely I know him personally. Um, but you know, if he's there, you know, um, like I told his father, if he's there, you know, I mean, if the Raiders didn't, I mean, he's definitely an excellent player. I mean, see, everybody don't know everything about him because, you know, we're just looking at his co- uh, college stuff. In high school, he was a beast. You know what I mean? He can play all over the line. He can play wide receiver. He can play quarterback. You know what I mean? And he also can run the ball. He's like a beast running the ball. He's like almost like a... Uh, uh, Henry from uh, the Titans coming out of the backfield. Yeah, you know well, I mean? you so, look at him, and yeah, exactly. He played defensive end primarily, anyway, uh, in high right. school, so he could obviously rush the passer. Um, and then you move him to linebacker at Penn State. We only got a chance to see him two years. That's the other thing that I try to tell people. Like, look, you know, well, he, uh, you know, what if, what about his pass coverage? You know what? We don't know. He didn't. He, I guarantee you that was part of the plan going into his junior year to get him some reps uh, and some times uh, in, in in pass coverage. But it never got to that because mm-hmm. he didn't play, and right. that doesn't mean he can't do it though. Right. I mean, and he's definitely a hard worker. I mean, he's one of the hardest workers I ever seen. Like that man. I don't know if seen his videos from him working in the off season. Like that man's he's a hard worker. I mean, I was like, dang. When I played football, I wish I was working hard like that. You know what <laughs> I mean? Don't we all? Like, 
Um, and, and so uh, I agree with you. And, and, and here's the thing, like from what I'm hearing anyway, uh, and it's just, you know, I haven't been able to talk to every general manager out there and everyone, every general manager is not going to give you all the information, but you know, I know that there's some flags on him, um, with some incidents that happened in high school, some maturity questions, but at least from what I'm hearing, it's more along the lines of yellow flags, not right, not red flags. Correct. Yellow flag, you know. They are. So I mean, he did something. He did something that is old school before he came to Harrisburg High. His old high school before he came to Harrisburg High. Okay, that was like I said. That was something that was almost close to like being a racist thing on their throwing their person's part. But he got rid of that. You know what I mean? He didn't, nothing get charged. He just got out of the school and let him go, and he went to Harrisburg High. You know what I mean? And then that's where he found himself. Like, you tell everybody, that's where I find myself at, you know, at Harrisburg Hall. And then in college, you know, they taught it to you just like some hazing things. But like I said, I don't think he got suspended or nothing for that. You know what I mean? He just did what he did. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, it's it sounded like something, obviously, you don't do that. But nothing that, right. you know, he's, it, it's, it's something that like should. Play around, like, you're just playing around in, in I don't know, like a rookie hazing, I guess I call it. And yeah, like exactly. Like a rookie hazing, just playing around and playing around like in, with each other, you know what I mean? That's all. But yeah, other than that, man, like I said, that man, that man's tough. I mean, but like I said, other than him, I mean, like I said, I do like Jock. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Um, so I do like Jock. I mean, Jock is there. I mean, definitely he's good in coverage. You know what I mean, he can, he was a safety yep. before. So, I mean, he can play safety. You know what I mean? So he's very versatile too. I yep, mean, absolutely. So like, hey, man, Sammy, I really, uh, or excuse me, Sean Ray, I really appreciate the call. Don't be a stranger, all right? Uh, call us back tomorrow. Call us back on Friday after we find out who they picked in the first round. Uh, you're you're always welcome. Uh, Got to get out to the Raider Nation guest line. Uh, Matt from Hoboken. How you doing, Matt? What's up, Vinny? How you doing? I'm doing really good, thank you. So, Vinny, I, uh, I'll tell you what I, what I want out of this draft, and I, I don't even need to get into specifics about it. But I think we need to come out of this draft with at least one impact defensive football player. Now, whether we get him in the first round, second, whatever, we need an impact defensive player in this draft, at least one, and I would consider it a successful draft. I do not think I'm in I'm in the minority, I think, in that I, I didn't I don't blame Paul Gunther for every problem we had on defense last year. I I, I believe that Paul Gunther was actually a pretty competent defensive coordinator. You know, and and I could get into specifics on this as to why I think that, but I'm not going to waste your time with that. But I think he wasn't. But I just think we we just need some more impact on defense in terms of our personnel. I can see us, you know, passing up a guy like Parsons for an offensive tackle. I can certainly see us doing that. You know, we we have a history. Gruden and Mayock has a history of drafting for need and potentially. You know, drafting guys that they need rather than maybe the best player on the board. If you just look at the drafts that they've been a part of these last few years, so if history is any indication, I think we got we we're gonna have to have some white knuckles tomorrow night. Yeah, and uh, I gotta gotta run because we've got our, uh, our, our our guest uh, waiting uh, real quick. But one thing I have to say about that, Matt, is I think that you find yourself doing that as a team when you're in complete rebuild mode, and the Raiders have been since John Gruden got here. So every draft has kind of reflected, I wouldn't say desperation, but there were so many holes to fill. 
um, that they that they were drafting for need. There's no question about it. You don't want to be in a position where you're drafting for multiple, multiple needs on top of needs. And everywhere you look, there's needs. Last year, there were needs all over the field. Um, you know, uh, time will tell if who they selected the last couple of years uh, are going to fill adequately fill those needs. But I don't think that they're in a position right now where they they have to fill this and that and this and this and all these different needs. They've got they need a right tackle, obviously. They need a free safety, obviously. They have there's a comfort level that through the draft and remaining free agency they'll be able to to get guys that they could plug in and, and and start. I don't think they're in desperation mode anymore, which gives you the power to be a little bit more selective. Now, it might line up where tackle is the best player available at 17. This is a good tackle draft. That might be the case. Uh, but but if a Micah Parsons, uh, if a J.C. Horn, or if a Patrick Sertain, let's say, uh, is there at 17, they don't have to desperately go get that right tackle. They could go get the best defensive player that's left on the board, somebody that they believe is going to make an impact. And that's, again, kind of the power of being in a in a much better position um, with the roster, and 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 they are at least the way they're looking at it. They are guys have to pan out, obviously, but they feel like they've done a fairly decent job covering a lot of these holes that existed these last few years. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line. Uh, sorry to keep them waiting. I uh, had to uh, had to hook up uh, our guy Matt from uh, Hoboken, but I uh, uh, want to say thank you, first of all, to Austin Galp from Pro Football Focus uh, for, for joining us. You can follow him at PFF underscore Austin Gale. He always does a great job. I swear by Pro Football Focus. I'm just going to say that. Uh, it is well worth uh, the money, whatever subscription you decide to get. So after the interview... Go to pff.com and go, uh, you know, uh, put whatever money uh, is needed to, to subscribe to it. You will learn and be a better football fan and observer by doing so. I know uh, I am. And uh, just want to say, first of all, thanks to Austin Gale for joining us. How you doing, my brother? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. You got it. You got it. All right. So, um, you know, we're, we're, less, we're about 24 hours, 24 and a half hours away from uh, the official kickoff uh, of the draft. Um, before we get into Raiders specific questions, uh, as we sit on um, the eve of, of draft day, uh, any are you anticipating any big surprises? And I'm sure uh, you, like everybody else, myself included, are, are fascinated by what happens at number three uh, with San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and let's start there. What do you think happens and how uh, big of an impact is that pick, whoever it is, is going to have on the rest of the draft? Yeah, I mean, you look at it right now, the, the betting favorite to, the, to be the San Francisco 49ers quarterback, their selection at number three overall is Mac Jones of Alabama, I think at minus 350 at this point. For some context there, Kyler Murray to be the number one overall pick the day before the draft is minus 250, not nearly as confident as people are right now in Mac Jones being that number three overall pick. So I do think that if I had to lean in one way, I do think the San Francisco 49ers will take Mac Jones at number three, but that's not the surprise. I mean, at this point, we've been hearing about that for the better half of the last two, three weeks because... Adam Schefter of ESPN, Lance Beerline, NFL Media, Dale Jeremiah, NFL Media. These guys all have said the San Francisco 49ers traded two future first-round picks and a future third-round pick to go up and grab Mac Jones. Where I think the first surprise will be and where I think the draft really does start, where I think it gets interesting, will be the number 7 overall pick with the Detroit Lions, who right now are projected to have the second-lowest win total of any team in the NFL right ahead of the Houston Texans. We don't have to speak to how bad that franchise is in right now. And then after that, <laughs> It's Carolina. What do they do? Traded a second-round pick for Sam Darnold, just traded away 
Teddy Bridgewater will be paying him $7 million against the 2021 cap to play for a different team in 2021. I think at 7-8, and eight, does the team come up for Justin Fields or Trey Lance? Does New England make a play? Does Denver make a play even after trading for Teddy Bridgewater? It'll be interesting to see. I think at 7-8, and eight, that's where I start to get interested in what the surprise picks could be. All right, so you're not buying um, any of the speculations that uh, there is a uh, that there's a little not confusion, uh, but maybe a little bit of a bit of debate in the 49ers draft room right now, uh, where on one side, um, you know, Mac Jones is the apple of everybody's eye, but on the other, uh, Trey Lance seems to be picking up some speed. Are you buying anything in in that realm, or do you you, you firmly believe it's going to be Mac Jones? No, I'm absolutely sure that the San Francisco 49ers, while they did initially trade off to go grab Mac Jones, have had more conversations about Trey Lance because you saw you had an opportunity to see him at his pro day. You had more opportunities to talk to him, get him on the whiteboard, because everyone you talk to says the guy's brilliant. You know, 19, 20 years old and can command a huddle and command an offense is really smart. One of the smartest quarterbacks in this class. Easy to get convinced. Will, they conv- will he convince them enough to take him at number three overall, I doubt it. I think Kyle Shanahan still likes his guy, still likes Mac Jones, and that's ultimately who they pulled the trigger on. But I do think it is a two-horse race. It's a two-horse race between Mac Jones and Trey Lance, not Justin Fields. For whatever reason, San Francisco 49ers not in on uh, Justin Fields. Last question about the 49ers, uh, and I'll preface it this way. When I covered uh, the Rams, uh, they, the, the first year back in Los Angeles, they make a bold move to trade up from, I think, number 15 to number one. Um, and uh, I was kind of surprised uh, the day that they made that trade when they announced it, reaching out to my sources. I'm, I was already, uh, you know, uh, uh, figuring that it was going to be Wentz, you know, Carson Wentz. And it was like, no, 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 not so fast. <laughs> you know, not so fast. I'm like, really? And so they're thinking in trading as much as it took to go up uh, to number one was they wanted to take control of the situation. They wanted to decide for themselves who the best quarterback was between Jared Goff and, uh, and and Carson Wentz. Obviously, they ultimately went with Jared Goff mostly because they were afraid of the injuries uh, with Carson Wentz. But they they figured and they, they, they felt like the price to pay, to pay to go up and control that decision, make it our decision and not have to rely on anybody else was worth it. I really believe that's what the 49ers did. Yeah, they probably had their eye on Mac Jones all along, but... In their eyes, the cost to go to number three, and obviously Trevor Lawrence and, and uh, the BYU quarterback looks solid at number one and number two, obviously. They were thinking of the, of the remaining quarterbacks, we want to be in a position to make that decision on who that best quarterback is for the 49ers. We're not going to sit back and wait uh, for somebody else to make that decision for us. Um, where do you feel, where are you on just that decision to make the move up to get a, a firm grasp of the situation. And then, like you said, talk to Trey, you know, uh, Lance as much as you want. Talk to Justin Fields. Talk to Mac Jones. Do all the homework you can because now you, you, it's your decision, not somebody else's decision, your decision. Was it worth it for the 49ers to do that? 1,000%. I mean, I have no concerns with their decision to trade two future first-round picks and a third-round pick to go up from 12 to 3. The quarterback position is the most valuable position in sports, not even just football, the most valuable position in sports. And you can afford to trade you know, future top 50 picks, future top 30 picks, to go get a quarterback. Where you start to see concerns is where you trade multiple future players, multiple future top 30 picks for non-quarterbacks. Because it's just so much more difficult for one receiver or one tight end or one offensive tackle 
to be as valuable as a quarterback. And now, you know, Mac Jones or Trey Lance or Justin Fields, whoever they take at three, that player, again, is going to be more valuable than the players they could have taken in those other spots just by the nature of the position he plays. Now, of course, that doesn't mean just grab any quarterback. That means grab the best one. And if Kyle Shanahan, who's obviously one of the smarter offensive coaches in the NFL, believes he can win more football games, more Super Bowls, with Mac Jones and any other quarterback that will be available to him, I mean, you have to trust his decision and, and, and play that card. Uh, exactly, and I'm uh, in complete agreement. And thank you for couching it uh, as it really is. They traded two first-round picks. Everyone's and they, they, they traded three first-round picks. No, <laughs> they, they're swapping the 12th pick. I don't understand. I don't understand how people say they traded three first-round picks. No, they didn't. They traded two future first-round picks and a future third to move up you know, X amount of spots, whatever, eight spots, wherever it was. Exactly. So thank you, because that's the age-old argument, it seems, sometimes. And I'm like, how could you not see the math? But anyway, that's just a whole other – we could do a whole other show on people uh, making that mistake. But uh, I appreciate your uh, getting it right. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, all right. So uh, we figured out what the 49ers are going to do. Uh, they're drafting Mac Jones. Now the rest of the draft, uh, like you said, at – well, first of all, what do you think the Falcons are going to do? Uh, you're, you're, a, a lot of people are saying – that's going to be a big surprise, or that that's going to control a, a, a lot. Where do you think that they go with the with the fourth overall pick? Yeah, I feel pretty confident that they do ultimately stay put. The Atlanta Falcons stay put at number four overall and make the selection of Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. I think right now FanDuel has it as minus two ten that the Atlanta Falcons take Kyle Pitts, and I think a big reason for that is there isn't another team. I think that's willing to trade you know the same amount two future first rounders and some change to come up to four. So I don't think they're necessarily going to find a trade partner, especially after Denver making a trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Are they in a position to trade you know, two future first-round picks or whatever it may be to come up to four? Probably not with the investment they made in Teddy and the investment they've already made in through Locke. They're now in a position where the call might not be big enough. New England might not be willing to spend as much as they need to to go up to four. So staying put at four, I think of all the players that will be available to them after three quarterbacks come off the board, I think the best non-quarterback in this class is Kyle Pitts. And I think they pull that trigger pretty quickly. All right, who's the next quarterback that comes off the board? Next quarterback that comes off the board, if it is Mac Jones, I do think is is Trey Lance. Trey Lance, I think right now is you know one of one of those guys that a team will jump up for. It's why you're not going to see a trade up to four, up to five, up to six or seven until the San Francisco 49ers make that pick. Because if it is Mac Jones, there's you know X number of teams that want Trey Lance and want him bad enough to come up. If it is Trey Lance, then there's going to be a handful of teams that want to come up for Mac Jones or Justin Fields. So I do think that you won't see another trade up until we have the San Francisco 49ers off the clock having made a pick at the quarterback position. But I do think of all the teams that are still in a very good position to trade up and get a guy, Denver is one, New England's another, picking at 15, and then the two dark horse candidates are Washington at 19, Chicago at 20. We're talking to uh, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. You can follow him at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Are you buying any of the smoke that the Raiders have? Um, well, they should be interested in Trey Lance. Let's just forget that. Of course they should be. Everybody should be. He's, he's a fabulous talent. But are you buying any of the smoke that they are at least thinking about the possibility of, of, of moving up if he falls into a uh, sweet spot that they can – you know, move from 17 to whatever position they feel like they needed to go to uh, without having to give up the, the, the entire draft to go do it. Yes, absolutely. I'm not just buying the smoke. I think it's the right decision. You know, and it's not because 
Derek Carr is not the guy. It's not because Derek Carr isn't a good quarterback. The problem is, and I heard you talking a little bit about you know, the Raiders being in this rebuild, the problem is, is they've never fully committed to a rebuild. They've been having Derek Carr on the second contract since John Gruden took over, and while he is, in my opinion, a top 8 to 12 quarterback in the NFL, top 8 is best. I think he was a top 8 quarterback in the NFL last year. The problem is he's the best player on this football team outside of Darren Waller, and you can't win with a top eight quarterback in the NFL with as bad of a roster as the Raiders have, a no-name defense. That while they continue to invest resources, Cleveland Furl, Arden Key, Max Crosby, Nick Witkowski, Corey Littleton, Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, they continue to invest resources defensively. It's not panning out. That defense is still a bottom-five unit in the NFL. Derek Carr, as good as he is, arguably the best player on this team, can't carry this defense over it's not going to improve over the next one to two seasons my opinion is commit to this rebuild fully get a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract move on from Derek Carr one of your best players to finally commit to this rebuild and actually build around a quarterback that can be a top five player in his position maybe what Derek Carr can't be I love Austin Gell bringing it the way he is right now and uh and, and you make so, so much sense and I was I was you know on the radio this morning talking about it's not a slight on Derek Carr. If anything, it's kind of a compliment to him. You know what you have in Derek Carr. You just said it. He's a top 8 to top 12 quarterback. Those don't grow on trees. But that window that he has might not be jiving with what the with what where the Raiders are. So uh, it might make sense at this point, if you feel like Trey Lance could be the guy for the future, go trade for him. Um, whether you, you, you stick with Derek Carr for one more year, uh, you know, and, and, and wait for, for Trey Lance to get ready next year. Move on from Derek. Put, you know, hand, hand Trey, Lance, uh, Trey Lance the, uh, the keys to the car and rebuild around him. It makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying that they're going to do that, uh, but it certainly does make a lot of sense. If I mean, a good the, example is a good example is the San Francisco 49ers. They have one of the best defensive rosters in the NFL. They were a top five defense a few years ago. And offensively, a lot of pieces to like. Mike McGlinchey. Trent Williams resigned. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. They have a quarterback that started a Super Bowl, by the way, and still and still traded two future first-round picks to go get their guy because they're not settling for mediocrity. They're not settling for an average quarterback under center. They want a guy that can be a top-five player in the NFL. And I think that's why you see teams on the conservative side settling for a Sam Darnold in Carolina, settling for Teddy Bridgewater in Denver, or settling for Derek Carr in Las Vegas. Those are the teams that are rarely ever Super Bowl favorites, rarely ever predicted to go to the playoffs. Right, absolutely. And if you look at uh, when you look at uh, the 49ers with Jimmy G, you know, they, they've won a ton of games with Jimmy G. It's when he's not in there because he gets hurt all the time where they're not good, which also um, completely obliterates the, well, Shanahan can win with any quarterback. No, he can't win with any quarterback. The last three years have shown that he can win with Jimmy G. He got to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G, and he's not the best quarterback either. Uh, but there's a big fall off between Jimmy G and the guys that they've had behind him, and they've been a terrible team with his backups in there. Now, you know, in in, in I think the way Shanahan's looking at it, Mac Jones can be a very could be a a big improvement from uh, Jimmy G. And for the 49ers, you hope that he also stays on the field better than Jimmy G has been able to to stay on the field, and that solves a lot of problems in and of itself. Just having a guy that's going to be able to be durable. Uh, and play. All right. So if the Raiders stay at 17, um, and I'm not ruling out anything that you just said, to be honest with you, uh, but but if they do stay at 17, where do you feel they go uh, with that pick? I do think that unless they feel a blue chip defensive player falls to them, and now it's up to them to consider you know, or determine who these blue chip players are. I know they're probably high on Micah Parsons of Penn State, Jeremiah Usu Kormo of Notre Dame, 
potentially Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn if they start to fall, unless one of those guys that they feel is a blue-chip talent defensively, I think they ultimately lock an opposite tackle, whether that's Christian Derisaw, Virginia Tech, could even be Elijah Vera Tucker of USC or Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State. It's a glaring position of need, and it's also a very good opposite tackle class. Where I would lean, where I would do, is obviously make, make some calls to move up, but if it is too much, I would stay put at 17 and try and grab the best tackle available, especially if Derisaw is there. Yeah, I agree with you. I like Derisaw better than the other guys. Um, and, in fact, I think you could probably – maybe not Elijah uh, Veritaka. I think he's, he's, he's you know, uh, figures a lot big time in, in some other draft rooms, especially with his ability at guard. But, I, heck, I, I, if I'm the Raiders, I would even think about trading back if Jenkins is the guy because they could probably still get him, move back a few slots, uh, and, and pick up some, some draft assets. My last question, you mentioned Micah Parsons. I've talked to some people in the NFL – um, the, the feeling is, although who I talked to didn't do deep dives, you know, uh, into, into Micah, uh, they did enough of a dive to understand, Hey, there are, there is a yellow flag there at the very least a yellow flag. You know, they haven't done enough work to, un, to, to figure out if that, re, if that yellow flag is a red flag. Uh, but, but put it this way at best, he's a yellow flag. There's a yellow flag on Michael Parsons. Where do you fall on Michael Parsons? Do you feel like. That yellow flag is manageable, uh, and if he is at number seventeen, um, do you feel like the Raiders should jump on him? I, I think that I think he should, especially after he, talking to some people in the league where it's more yellow than red. Um, but but your thoughts on on if Michael Parsons is is there, and what are your thoughts on him as a player? How does he look from PFF's standpoint? Yeah, I mean it's a difficult conversation because I think without talking to him and, and talking to some of his former teammates and talking to his coaches and his you know his friends, it's hard to really identify how yellow that flag is. I think that's a great way of putting it. It's a yellow flag right now. However, the deeper you dive, does it get increasingly darker? Does it get more exactly. red? Because at that point, you're going to be talking to players on your football team, the, the scouts and the coaches on your football team. Can we win with this guy in our locker room? Those types of things. Now, I'm not going to speak to the details. I haven't talked to him personally. As a player on the football field, he's easily the best defensive player in this class. I don't think it's particularly close. Linebacker, this is one of the best linebacker prospects on the field we've seen since Luke Keekley coming out of Boston College a few years ago. Best run defender, according to PFF grades, in 2019, obviously opted out of the 2020 season. I think if you can get Micah Parsons, what we saw from him at Penn State in 2019, for six, 17 games a season, without off-field concerns, you're talking about a top-10 player in this class, a guy that should come off the board inside the first five to ten picks. However, there's going to be teams that put him lower on their board, and I do think that the Las Vegas Raiders at 17, it starts to become more worth the risk. But from the outside looking in, it's so hard to speak to. It's very similar to... Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech cornerback with two back surgeries over the past year. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how hard this is going to be in the NFL. I don't know if those, 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 those red flags medically are as bad as some people say. So I do think that it's going to come down to the Raiders and their decision to factor in that character into their culture. Yeah, and thank you for full disclosure because I try to you know, tell people this all the time. We're not privy to all the information. It would be an easier uh, job for us <laughs> if we did, but we don't know. How how darker those 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 flags got when when yeah. guys did the deep deep dive uh, on him. Uh, hopefully for his case it isn't you know because we're rooting for everybody uh, to to make their mark and, and do the best that they get in the NFL. And obviously, like you said, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, 
the film doesn't lie. This dude can play absolutely. So um, we'll see. And I know the Raiders are interested, uh, but but we'll see if it ever if it even comes to that. Uh, where they would go if he was uh, available. Uh, Austin Gale, thank you so much. I know it's a busy time for all of us. Uh, enjoy the next few hours and, and try to relax and, and get some uh, some rest in uh, before the big day tomorrow, but uh, enjoy it tomorrow as well. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, brother. Absolutely. Thank you. You got it. That's Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus. Uh, he always does a fantastic, fantastic job breaking it down from PFF's uh, standpoint, they do an excellent job. Like I said, go to go to their website, uh, subscribe. It's worth it. Uh, you'll get lost in all the information, uh, but once you kind of figure it out and see where they're coming from, you see that it's not just surfacey. They get to the bottom of players and do it in a really, really good way. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bonsignor. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM in the huddle. Thanks to Austin Gell from PFF. Uh, always brings the heat and the insight. Uh, and like I said, go to pff.com, uh, subscribe. It's worth the 34 bucks per month it is. Trust me on that. Uh, David is on the line. Uh, he wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, David? Yeah, good to talk to you. But, uh, you too, brother. So I wanna, good, yeah, I want to talk about this. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really concerned uh, about the defense again. Um, and I, I have to disagree with Austin Gale. Uh, I'm in no way a, a Derek Carr super supporter, but uh, I feel if the Raiders had a middle-of-the-pack defense last season, they would have for sure been a playoff team. Uh, I mean, they had a historically bad defense last year, and they didn't lose games because of Derek Carr. There was a few games that he could have played better, but he wasn't the problem. The problem is uh, it was an incompetent coaching staff coupled with uh, poor execution uh, on the player side. Uh, I don't think trading Derek Carr is starting over again. I don't think John Gruden and Mark Davis can afford that in Las Vegas. Um, you know, I, I would love to see them draft. Uh, if Micah Parsons is available, I'd love to see it. Uh, you know, I just think, you know, they've, they just they don't have any playmakers on defense. I, I'm a Cleveland Farrell fan, but fortunately, uh, drafting him number four is like buying a paying for a, a Ferrari and getting a Nissan Zephyr. Not A decent car, not trying to disrespect the Nissan Zephyr, but, you know, he's not what, what you paid for. Um, you know, and I just I just hope somebody has a voice in the room strong enough to protect John Gruden from John Gruden. Um, you know, I, I just, I wonder if he's got too much power in the organization, um, you know, and, and he, if he doesn't listen to the people around him and he, he could be his own worst enemy. I, I, that's, that's my fear. I hope that's not the case. Uh, you know, I, I hope he, you know, puts some effort into making that defense better. I, I just I haven't seen that I, even in the offseason this year. It's been more of a like a, let's throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. I, I see a lot of quantity, but not much quality coming in. And uh, you know, it's the same thing year after year. And I, I just, you know, I, I hope that changes. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate the call. Um, I, I I think he's a good listener. I don't think he's some maniacal puppet master that's controlling everything uh, by all accounts from what i'm hearing 
from inside uh, the building in Henderson. He wants to win, and he and he relies on people to help get the Raiders to that point. Um, so he gives guys leeway. He listens. He's obviously makes the final call, uh, but there's other people in that building that help get them to into a position to make a decision. And, you know, you look back on some of the – it's easy to say in retrospect – Terrell Williams was a mistake. LaMarcus Joyner was a mistake. You know, Trent Brown was a mistake. A couple of those guys were mistakes because they just couldn't stay healthy. Um, so we'll see. You're in the huddle with the Mini Monster. Brought to you by Tequila and Bonner.